Hello, 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 my lovely parent friends. And apparently we are still friends and I still apparently love saying that. And it tickles me to know and to make a little funny in my mind. And I would love you guys to make a little, a little joke in your mind, a little chuckle for yourself every day. I'm Dr. Nikki Naradin, and this is the Teen and Tween Parenting Podcast. And I am so excited to be here with you. I am your cruise director on this journey we call Parent Teening. Anyway, just want to share some things that are going on. I saw a really great show yesterday. Uh, it was the David Burns show. And he was the lead singer in the Talking Heads, and I've loved him forever. And it was called American Utopia. And it was really just kind of a glorified concert. But he's got a lot of progressive messages that I really love. And he really wants people to be with people. And he wants us to be open to each other and to not act as if we know everything about each other, but to be curious and interested. And I, I thought about that because that, that's kind of the message that I was sending on my first book that I wrote called Shut Up and Act Dumb, a Parent's Guide to Staying Close and Connected to Your Teens and Tweens. And the act dumb part wasn't to act stupid, to act apart, to act inauthentic. It was just to not assume that you know everything that's going on with your teenagers, to not assume that you know what's best for them, to not assume that they are living your childhood, to not assume that they feel exactly the same feelings that you have. And I was thinking about this yesterday because I gave a webinar for some wonderful moms of teens from all over the globe, some from Scotland, some from England, all around the country. And I was talking about part of the reason why I started doing this work. And I feel like I've experienced so much in my life and I've done so much in my life that I really could have helped anybody on so many realms. But the thing that I love about teens and the reason why I love doing this work is that first of all, it feels like everybody talks so badly about them. And I feel like people had talked so badly about me too. It was kind of the trope that came out. Ah, just wait until they become teens. Oh my God, they're so disrespectful. They eat me out of house and home. They have no consideration about money. They are so rude. They're so thoughtless, whatever it is, so ungrateful that they say this, moms say this like nothing. And I know that that's what was said about me. And I know that what it wasn't true, that I wasn't bad, that I wasn't disrespectful. I was just figuring some things out. So we have this trope around teens that somehow I want to interrupt in some way, which is really great. And the other thing is that teens are launching and quickly, a couple of years and they're gone. And if anything, people already believe their teens are gone. They feel like they have no opportunity with them anymore. Now, when I'm talking about teenagers, I'm talking about ages 10 almost, you know, this is teen and tween. So let's say nine or 10, but up to the age of 30, that young adulthood where they've graduated from wherever, or they've gotten out of high school, or they're doing whatever they're doing and supposedly are adults and supposedly are independent, they are still 
formulating their thinking. They're still deciding where to live. They're still figuring out who they want to be with. They still are figuring out what they want to do with their lives. And so they need just as much support as ever. So during those years, time goes by very, very quickly. And you have a small window in which you could make it right. And with the idea that we get hopeless around our teens because we think we have zero control over them at that point and they're going to be gone and they're going to do what they want, we almost give up. And I have a story about that in a little while. So that is part of the reason why I did that. The other thing is that I was very isolated as a teen. I had a lot of struggles. I was bullied as a young one. And my parents couldn't listen at all. If anything, they were judgmental. They blamed me. They talked way too much. I didn't really get a word in edgewise. And if they did feel bad for me, even for a moment, it was never helpful. I still felt like I had to take care of their feelings. So I knew that I didn't want to repeat that particular pattern that was going on. And then the other thing that happened is that when my children were young, my daughter had similar difficulties that I seemed to have. She was being rejected from the girl group in school. Now she was only in second grade at the time. And I remember once that I was watching as she went into the cafeteria and there were two girls playing some kind of hand game and she went over to play with them and they looked at each other and they just walked away from her. They stopped playing and they walked away. And my daughter went down and sat feeling very rejected and discouraged. And I know that at that moment, I felt like I had a knife through my heart. That it might as well have been me being rejected. And if anything, I think I felt it more intensely than she did. And then I just ran into action mode. Like, who can I talk to about this? Do I need to talk to the teacher about this? Can I kill these kids? I mean, it was really dark what was going on in my mind. And then there was something I believed about my daughter being unlovable. So I was almost fueling that particular flame that she already felt about being unlovable, unwanted, and rejected. And then I couldn't be there for her at all. So she couldn't tell me when things were hard because she knew how hard that was for me, how I could not manage anything in my own mind, and that whatever I would do would probably make things a little bit worse for her. So she couldn't tell me. And then things really spiraled down. So I also knew that I needed to take care of whatever my feelings and emotions are, because remember what they say, the quickest way to feel the feelings of your early childhood is to have children. Because if you notice that you're having a hard time with whatever stage they're going through, then you have to decide that that was probably hard for you too. Even if you don't remember it, even if you don't have any examples, that that particular situation had brought up something in you that you probably had experienced back there. And that's why it feels so bad. So remember, the act dumb part is we still, even though we believe that we had a similar experience, don't know what it is they're going through. And it's almost very, how could I say this? It's, it's not insensitive, selfish, almost a little narcissistic that we believe that we know exactly what the experience is and that we also can make that experience go away and that we have to make that experience go away for some bizarre reason. 
and I don't know exactly why. So that, that's what I wanted to share with you guys a little bit as to why I've come to this work and it's evolving day by day. Because when I watch people able, especially moms, to manage their mind around their children, when somebody tells me, I heard your voice in my head and I didn't say anything, and I kept reminding myself that things were safe and things were okay, and their child, their teen, their young person gave them tons of information and felt closer than ever without a fight, I know that I have to keep going and doing this work because I am absolutely sure that once they launch out of a house where they feel like they can actually be themselves, do what they need to do and get supported and make mistakes without all the judgment and the criticism and be allowed to make them on their own terms, then they'll be able to go out and make beautiful decisions out in the world, or maybe not so beautiful decisions, but you will know deep down that everything will be okay. And that is so incredibly comforting. So I just wanted to share a little story with you. I was playing poker with my parents, a family that plays anything together is actually a family that does stay together. I am all about the fun. My next book is going to be coming out soon. Shut up and have fun. And I just really believe, and I've been doing that with my children ever since they're born, as well as my daily life. I try to have as much fun as possible in as silly possible ways as I can. And we played poker at my parents' house. And we had a couple of other people over. My son was there. My mom and dad were there. My daughter's at school right now. And my husband, Ted, couldn't be there. And uh, we were playing. And I was talking to this other person named Tommy who was there. And Tommy's a wonderful person. And he has a stepson who's 20 years old, who he hasn't talked to in the last four years. Now, he raised this child. This child has been living with him since he is probably two or three. And I said, you haven't spoken to him in about four years. And he said, nah, we don't speak. And I'm like, well, tell me why. I mean, is he a good kid? Do you like him? He's like, yeah, he's a good kid. He's actually going to the academy to become a police officer. He's a nice person. He's kind of quiet. I was like, so you like him? He's like, yeah, he's okay. I was like, but, but you don't talk to him. And then he said something that really resonated with me. He said, no, nah, I don't talk to him. That ship has already sailed. That ship has already sailed? This is a 20-year-old who's lived in his house, who has been raised by him, who was a good kid, who lost his father, who could even possibly consider Tommy his father. And already, Tommy had given up. He said the ship had sailed. And I was like, really? Sailed already? Because you got another 50 years with this kid. I, I mean, he's not going anywhere. You're not leaving his mom. How could, it, how could it have sailed? How was it gone already? Now, I'm the cruise director of this ship. 
And I was definitely interested in directing the ship for Tommy as much as I could. And I wasn't sure how much he was going to take, but I was going to try anyway, because I feel like any way in which I can help somebody to change a perspective, to remedy a relationship, to help a young person feel loved and accepted, and to feel loved and accepted yourself is definitely my calling. And so I thought, well, what would happen if you tried? And he was like, no, 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 no. The ship had already sailed. I was like, well, imagine what would happen if you tried. And we kind of got to the point that he was worried he was going to be rejected. And that fear of rejection would lead to disappointment, discouragement, hopelessness, whatever it was. So Tommy was so afraid of being rejected that he decided that he wasn't going to do everything in his ability to connect with this child who lives in his house, who he's been the father of since age two. I mean, mean, maybe not the father, you know, he hasn't a father that he doesn't have much of a relationship with, but, but he could have been his person. I was like, wow, that fear of rejection is so intense. So our fear of feeling an emotion, in particular rejection, and I think about the fear of rejection. And so I've been reading a lot about it. And the feeling of rejection is believed to have developed as an evolutionary tool to alert us early humans, the ones that were probably being attacked by saber-toothed tigers, the ones that needed to hunt and gather and needed groups of people to do it with, who were at risk of being ostracized by the tribe they belonged to. A painful rejection from others in the tribe was likely to encourage an individual to modify any problematic behavior. So actually the rejection was helping somebody to act better within the tribe or the community to make it go well. And once it went better or well, they were accepted back in order to avoid further rejection or ostracism from the tribe. Those who were able to avoid the further rejection were more likely to survive, while those who did not find rejection to be particularly painful may not have corrected the offending behavior. People might not have actually hunted with them or gathered with them, and they would probably have starved to death. Well, that's pretty serious business. Now, and that might have been useful way back in the day when we had to worry about our daily existence, whether we were gonna eat, whether we were gonna be warm, whether we were gonna be attacked. But we don't have those issues right now. So we are still carrying an early fear that we react to at every moment and shoot ourselves in the foot reacting to, trying desperately to not feel for nothing that's gonna harm us physically. And then I was thinking, well, you know, if you fear rejection, you know, then you're going to feel disappointment and disappointment is the sadness or displeasure caused by the non-fulfillments of one's hope and expectation. So we, we just have to switch the hope and expectation. And maybe the hope and expectation is that we're just going to continue to try, that we will continue to try until we get to the goal. And then what happens after the discouraged, you know, disappointment is that you're discouraged. I call it the double D the dubious double D, disappointment and discouragement. 
And discouragement is a feeling of being less confident or less hopeful. So you're worried about rejection, then you might get disappointed or might not because you never even try. It's not like you're getting there. And then you get discouraged to try again. And then you don't try to make a relationship with a young person that's living with you. And then you have a whole life of a non-relationship like that. So I am going to teach you guys how to handle a feeling. Because a feeling, when you think about it, is just a sensation in your body. It's not going to kill you at this point. All right. So there are three ways that we handle feelings. Okay. Three negative ways of handling, handling feelings. I think that there are actually four ways of handling feelings. We can resist them and resist them. It's like, you know, trying to keep somebody out the door. Now we think if we resist a feeling like we're white knuckling through that feeling that actually that is a good step, but it's not sustainable because you don't feel good. And somehow the feeling will come back in there and the not feeling good about trying to resist something so terribly doesn't work. It creates no relief. Resistance just creates more tension. So that's one way. And I think we do a lot of resisting. The second way, which is not useful because remember there's a result we want. So I am assuming since Tommy said this kid's a good kid and he lives with him, that actually he would want a relationship if it were a possibility in his mind. I'm going to have to assume that. No, I might be wrong, but let's go. Go with that. Stay with me on this one. The next way, which is not particularly helpful, is reacting to it. So when we react to a feeling, we just kind of act them out and we don't process them. We don't truly feel them. Okay. So acting out is just like getting really mad at somebody and screaming and yelling at them, you know, or stomping your feet or doing whatever, you know, it is just reacting to the situation without actually knowing what's going on in your mind and without understanding what the outcome might be when we react to it. We almost feel like we get to react to something like that. And maybe you blow off a little steam, but the result is still never good. Remember, we're always looking at our results as the measure to what we're doing. Because you could do what you want and feel as justified as you want. But if the result is you have no relationship, then it's not helpful to you. And I want your relationships to be solid. I want you to move forward in them as best as you possibly can. The third one in our culture, which is pretty intense, is avoiding a feeling. And avoiding a feeling is really just buffering with anything that you can think of. Now, I definitely buffer with food whenever I feel something, if I feel bored, lonely, disappointed, discouraged, whatever it is, I am getting something to eat. Some people are drinking, some people are watching Netflix, other people have the TV on, other ones are surfing social media, some people are having sex, everybody is doing something so that they can avoid a feeling. The problem with that is that the feeling will always come back to be worked on at some point. So you will have to continue to try to work on it and it'll just stretch out that hard feeling. And the other thing is that you have whatever the side effects of what you're buffering with is. So maybe you don't live your hopes and dreams because you're watching too much Netflix. Maybe you are not the right weight that you should be. And you have some medical issues because you've decided to eat your feelings away. Maybe you've drank too much and then you definitely can't be present. And maybe there are other issues that come with that related to drinking, whether it be drinking and driving. But the other part about it is that 
We model this for our young people, and I definitely would not want them doing these things, especially if they're feeling something. Now, the fourth thing to do, which I think is probably the best thing we can do, is to allow the feelings. A feeling in and of itself is harmless. And I know they don't feel good, and I'm making it sound easy, which I don't mean to. I don't think it's easy. I desperately try not to feel things, or at least I had. But when you think about what a feeling truly is, it's just a vibration in your body. The other day I went with my parents to the casino to play poker. It seems that I'm playing a lot of poker lately. My father, who's 89, and I always say that he's really struggling physically, said his bucket list was to actually go to the casino again. And he was able to do it. And I took him with my mother and I played a game called one, two, no limit. And I never normally play that particular poker game because you put a certain amount of money in front of you and you could lose it in one shot or not. Generally what I'm playing is I'm playing a tournament. You buy in for a tournament, you've got a certain amount of, of chips, and then you play until you either win or you lose. Now that works for me because if I buy into a tournament for $40, then I consider that my entertainment fee. So I'm almost ready to lose it. And it's probably not a great attitude to decide that I'm ready to lose it because if I'm ready to lose those chips, the most likely choice is I'm going to lose it. Either I'm going to get impatient or I'm going to get a little anxious or something is going to happen. But if I believe that I'm ready to lose those chips, I usually lose them. And I very rarely win a tournament, but the one, two, no limit is really scary scary for me. And so I was at a table and in a hand that I liked, you know, I, I had, I don't know if you guys know how to play poker, but I had a pair in my hand and then three cards are put down. And I actually had another one of the same card. They're called trips, or I had three of a kind in my hand. And I kind of knew there was nothing else on that board that anybody else would have had that would have been better. And so I started to get nervous and I bet, and I bet well, but my hands were shaking. I was so scared. I started to sweat and my bowels went all wonky. Now that might be more information than you want, but it was crazy how that feeling was coming over me. And it was so physical. So I felt anxious. And then all of these physical things happened. So I want you to notice when you have a feeling, what you feel in your body. Now, that is the fourth thing we talked about doing. It's called allowing your feelings. When you allow your feelings, you feel them. Even when you are angry, you can still quietly feel where that is in your body. Is it fast or slow? What color is it? How big is it or not? Is it hot? Is it cold? All of those things. You can just look at it from a very thoughtful and compassionate observing place and see what that feeling is and allow that feeling to course through you. And then every time you allow the feeling without resisting, reacting, or buffering, when you allow that feeling, I want you to put a marble in a jar or a rock in a jar or write it down or tell yourself, I did that. I allowed a feeling. And then as you watch that jar fill up with the allowed feelings, then you'll know you can handle any feeling at all. And when you can handle any feeling, you can do anything. If you are not worried about being rejected. Now it's interesting because I put two feelings in the same sentence. If you're not worried, 
about being rejected. So rejected and worrying, but all of it. And you can use each one and everyone. I just want you to know your mind so well. But if you could allow yourself to feel rejected, if you could allow yourself to feel discouraged, if you could allow yourself to feel hopeless or disappointed and still do the hard thing, then you can do anything. You can remedy any relationship that you want to. You can ask for any amount of money in a job you want. You can sit there while your teenagers tell you hard things and know that it is not your life, it's theirs, and that you can handle any feelings and that you know that they can learn to do that too. That when they get rejected, that they'll be able to allow that feeling and handle it and move on and find a better, more wonderful love rather than colluding with their feelings, rather than jumping in the pool with their feelings, rather than intensely feeling it yourself. So you think you have to change everything for them. So you are going to allow these feelings. And once you can allow a feeling fully, you have hit the promised land. There is nothing that you can't do. All right. That is what I have for you today. Remember about the morning routine. So important. Remember we have thoughts, 40 to 60,000 thoughts a day. They run in our head. They have a certain vibration. They start to attach to other thoughts. If the direction of your thought is a direction that you do not like, if you are worrying about something that might happen that day, and you know, once you start to worry and there, you've got 15 seconds to worry, and then it adds to another worry. And then it's another 15 seconds. You're thinking about it. And then that has a ton of momentum. If you do a morning routine, starting with meditation, five minutes to 15 minutes, just to allow yourself to slow your mind down, to receive the thoughts you're going to get. And then you do a thought download for everything that's on your mind. And then remember, we talked about separating circumstances from thoughts and knowing what's real and what's not real. And that that thought might even be one that you would consider changing to a more neutral thought or whatever. Anyway, I have to go, but I love you all. Now, if you want to take a deeper dive, and I know that you will. Because if you're listening to me already, you know that you could take the leadership in your family and change the trajectory of where your family goes. Stop repeating the generational trauma of the worry, the criticisms, the judgments, the anxiety, all of it. And then you'll be able to guide your family by example, by guiding your own mind. And I know you can do it those small and perfectly perfect steps. So what I want you to do is I want you to buy my course. Okay. The course is six steps. It's in three very easy videos. You'll get lots of bonuses to help support you. Plus I'm going to have office hours every week to help. You're going to have access to me and I don't have much time but I want to see things go well for you guys. So as I go, you go. So go to drnickinaridan.com, sign up for my course, download the ebook, rate and review and share my podcast. And if there is one person in this world who could benefit from this, then you have to get it to them. It's our responsibility. We are going to save the world. All right. I love you guys. Bye.